to worship. The prophets have taught us to do justice, practice kindness, and walk humbly with God. We know Christ is at work in our world and in us. Wisdom continues to teach us to listen, to learn, and to live. We know Christ is at work in our world and in us. We join together to praise and worship our God, for Christ is at work in our world and in us. seated. Remember that our Lord Jesus can sympathize with us in our weakness, since in every respect he was tempted as we are yet without sin. 
Let us then with boldness approach the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let us confess our sins against God and against our neighbor. Let us pray. God of our ancestors, we recall our ancestors of the faith, their faithfulness and their mistakes. We know our own lives have failed to measure up. In a world that is so broken right now, help us, O oh God, to become menders. Forgive our short-sightedness and selfishness, and remind us to help one another. Call us into your glorious work of kingdom building. In the name of Jesus Christ, who laid down his life so that we might all have life now, we pray. Amen. Friends, believe the good news as it is proclaimed to us through the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to worship at Fourth Presbyterian Church on this, the 25th Sunday after Pentecost. Extending Christ's peace, we invite you to turn and greet your neighbors in sharing the peace of Christ with them in whatever manner feels most comfortable and respectful. And for those joining us online, we hope that you'll let us know that you're here today, whether by using the QR code on your screen or in the link below your video. And we extend a warm welcome to you as well. So beloved, may the peace of Jesus Christ be with you. Let us greet one another. And God's people said, Amen. We encourage you to fill out the information form or the pew pads to let us know that you are with us today. And for those of you who are worshiping with us online, we'd love to know where you're joining us from. We know that we are blessed by the presence of so many across the country and across the world, so we'd love to be connected with you where you are. All, all are invited to take part in the life and ministry of this congregation. You'll find your invita invitation to participate in the second half of the worship bulletin, or pages seven through 11. And I encourage you to take a few moments as you're filling out the pew pads to also 
glance through and explore the variety of opportunities that are listed there. And you'll discover a range of events upcoming, including an interfaith Thanksgiving service to classes and workshops on topics such as exploring your spiritual gifts, to ways in which to share your gifts in the glory of the season through fellowship, music, and gift projects. Again, all are welcome. Finally, as those of you who receive our weekly email newsletters know, and if you don't receive it, there is information in your bulletin on how you can sign up to receive that information. In that e-newsletter yesterday, we learned that our senior associate pastor, Lucy Forster-Smith, has announced her retirement effective January 15th. We're deeply, deeply grateful to Lucy for her ministry with us over the past six years. And in the weeks ahead, we'll be sharing details about opportunities for us to celebrate our time together and our relationship with her and to express our gratitude. Let us continue together in our worship of God. Let us pray. Loving God, pour out your spirit upon us to bring good news to the oppressed and let your word be fulfilled among us. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior, amen. Our first scripture reading this morning is from the book of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. Listen now for God's word to us. For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. 
Then he went away. At once the one who had received the five talents went off and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master replied, You wicked and lazy slave, you knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with the ten talents. For to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance but from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let me invite us to listen now to our second reading, which comes from 2 Kings, the fifth chapter, the first 19 verses. Listen for God's word for us. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Aram, 
was a great man and in high favor with his master because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man, though a mighty warrior, suffered from a skin disease. Now the Arameans on one of their raids had taken a young girl captive from the land of Israel and she served as Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he could cure him of his skin disease. So Naaman went in and told his Lord just what the girl from the land of Israel had said, and the king of Aram said, go then, and I will send along a letter to the king of Israel. He went, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of garments. He brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you my servant Naaman, that you may cure him of his skin disease. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to give death or life that this man sends me uh, sends word to me to cure a man of his skin disease? Just look and see how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent a message to the king, why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me that he may learn that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and halted at the entrance of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. But Naaman became angry and went away saying, I thought that for me, he would surely come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and would have waved his hand over the spot and cured the skin disease. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? He turned and went away in a rage. But his servants approached him and said to him, Father, if the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, you would have done it. How much more when all he has said to you was wash and be clean? So he went down and immersed himself seven times in the Jordan, and according to the word of the man of God, his flesh was restored like the flesh of a young boy, and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company. He came and stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Please accept a present from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives whom I serve, I will accept nothing. He urged him to accept, but Elisha refused. Then Naaman said, If not, please let two mule loads of earth be given to your servant. For your servant will no longer offer burnt offerings or sacrifice to any God except the Lord. But may the Lord pardon your servant on one count. When my master 
goes into the house of Remen to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow down in the house of Remen. When I do bow down in the house of Remen, may the Lord pardon your servant on this one count. And Elisha said to him, go in peace. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Holy wisdom, holy word. In my judgment, Naaman, the Syrian general, experiences one of the most remarkable moments in the entire Hebrew Scripture. And in addition to that, he is healed of a skin disease. Naaman is a commander of the Aramean or Syrian army. He's Israel's enemy. In battle, Naaman had been victorious, but Naaman had a skin disease, perhaps leprosy. Naaman goes to great lengths to find healing to no avail, but along the way he discovers that Yahweh, the God of Israel, can change his life. Naaman is sent to Israel carrying a letter from the king of Aram. He greets the king of Israel. It's an unhappy circumstance for this king, for he can't heal skin diseases and assumes the more powerful Aram king will hold him responsible for a failure. He tears his clothes, a sign of grief and death. He's in a bind. That is until... Elisha, the prophet, summons Naaman to visit Elisha. So Naaman arrives with his entourage, his horses and his chariots, and Elisha doesn't even come out of the house. He just sends the butler. He just sends Bates out to, to, to greet the, 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 uh, the general and says and gives instructions, go wash in the Jordan seven times. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. Naaman is offended. I thought for me, he would come out. He would say a shazam or two. He'd sprinkle some wolfle dust. He'd wave his hand over the spot and would, and would cleanse me. In spite of Naaman's enemy status and in spite of his arrogance, he is healed. When God chooses to show blessing, being the enemy of God's people is no barrier. The love of God can be offensive that way. Grace is always extended to those who are imperfect. But here's where the story gets interesting to me. Naaman, now healed, must return to Syria before he goes home, he says, now I know that there are no other gods save the God of Israel. But then he asked for something strange. He said, would you mind if I take two mule loads of dirt back home with me? You see, Naaman has a problem. Naaman has had an experience of God which has changed how he sees the world. But the part of the world in which he lives, the part of the world which he calls home, 
is Syria. He is Aramean. Syria has always been home. And yet his experience of God has changed his worldview so that what he has heretofore assumed to be home no longer completely feels at home. So before he goes back to Aram, he needs some dirt, a little holy ground. We don't know what he did with this dirt. I don't know if he uses the dirt to set up space for an altar. I don't know if he scatters it around the neighborhood trying to create a holy zip code. I don't know if he sprinkles a little in his shoes each day to remind himself that he's walking on holy ground. What seems clear is that his faith has changed what he thinks is home. Stick with me. I think sometimes the clearer we get about the life of Jesus, the more we understand about what Jesus calls us to do and to be, the less we feel at home in this world. Jhumpa Lahiri's wonderful novel, The Namesake, she tells of a Bengali family who immigrated immigrate to the U.S. They leave what was home and try to discover home in a new land. Instead, they discover a sense of homelessness. As over time, they learn that there is too much Bengali in them to be completely at home in America. But then surprisingly, they absorb enough America in them that they no longer feel completely at home in the old country. Ashima, the mother of this family, describes her new life this way. Being a foreigner is sort of a lifelong pregnancy, a perpetual weight, a constant burden, a continuous feeling out of sorts. It is a parenthesis in what had once been ordinary life only to discover that previous life has vanished, replaced by something more complicated and constantly demanding. I wonder if Naaman would describe his new life this way. He has discovered God but realizes that the world in which he lives doesn't align with the ways of God. He can neither deny the ways of God nor deny the ways of his home country, his culture. This tension comes to a point in a shocking to me, shocking moment in the text. He pleads with Elijah, when I go back, I will have to escort the king into worship. When I go back, I will have to escort the king into the sanctuary of Rimmon, the god of Aram. And when I bow down before the god of Aram, may the Lord pardon your servant on this one count. Do you hear what he's asking? He is saying, these are my people. 
But my faith means I do not fit with my own people the same way. I must live with them, but I no longer fit with them. So when I go back and my life fails to show the difference that my faith has made, when my life fails to show the fidelity of God that I know God requires, when I go and live where everyone else is worshiping another God, can you pardon me for being there? Hebrew Bible scholar Dr. Richard Nelson says that Naaman is a man threatened by his faith. He needs pardon for a compromise he knows to be imperfect. When Naaman requests this pardon, we might expect the prophet to quote the commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. We might expect the prophet Elijah to quote the Torah, you be holy as the Lord your God is holy. But in one of the most amazing moments of all Hebrew scripture, the prophet of God says, go in peace. Go in peace. God's grace extends to the imperfect. God's grace includes the compromised. I think this is the honest spiritual struggle for you and for me. Sometimes the clearer we get about God's call in our lives, the more complicated our lives become because the culture we assume to be home is no longer home for us. I think like Naaman, we all live in the shadow of the house of Rimmon. We all live in a world that is so different from the life that Jesus talked about that it seems God is a long way away from time to time. So we all need a little holy ground a little dirt sprinkled in our shoes to remind us how we are to walk in this world. I have a friend, John, he runs his own business. He's quite successful. He told me once, he said, Tom, I love coming to church. I love it. It's inspiring to me. It's grounding for me. But then I leave. And I go about my life through the week and the things that we talk about on Sunday morning seem so far from the world in which I live. It seems like I'm living in two different worlds. He said, I'm trying to figure out how to bring faith with me to work. I think he's saying, I need two mule loads of dirt. I do too, by the way. All of our lives of faith are a compromise. In these early weeks with you, I remembered a moment in my early weeks at Village Church. I was desperately trying to learn names and faces. It was a struggle. On, on this particular day, I, I, remember, I remember I was called to go make a hospital visit to someone who I did not know, I had not been there long enough, but I was driving to the hospital and, and I was on a schedule and I drove past an Ace Hardware. And when I saw the Ace Hardware, I went, oh, there's, there's where the hardware store is. And it reminded me that I needed some wood screws for a project at the house. So I really didn't have time, but it's right there. So 
I stopped at the Ace and I went in to get a box of wood screws and I got them and I waited in the checkout line and I got up to the register and the little barcode on there, it, it, it was smudged. And so she couldn't, she couldn't read it. She says, I'm sorry, I can't read it. I said, it's 329. She said, I, I can't read it. I said, but it's 329. She said, but I, ca I can't read it. You better go get another one. So I went back and I got another box and I came back and waited in line again and got up and there was a tear in the box. And she said, you know, I'm afraid you might not have all the wood screws that you, you should go, you should go get another box. So I, for a third time, I go and I get a fully intact box with as far as I can tell, a clear barcode to scan. And I go up and she scans it and she says, that'll be 329. And, <laughs> and then that little paper that, that spits out with your, that paper needed to be changed. She said, this will only take a minute. She's a bit optimistic about that. And, and so finally she, she hands me, she hands me uh, my paper and she says, have a nice day. And I, 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 we don't know each other that well. I really shouldn't be telling you these things about me. But, but I said, I'll try with what's left of it. And then she said, see you Sunday. <laughs> yeah, I was so happy about that. <laughs> the ways of Jesus are not our ways. We all live in the shadow of the house of Remen and the life of faith we offer is always a compromise. It was Senator John Danforth, previous senator from Missouri, and an Episcopal priest. In his book, Faith in Politics, he talked of a time he attended a noontime Ash Wednesday service. It's a meaningful service. He left the sanctuary with the smudge of ash on his brow. He was returning to work, I think in the Senate at the time, and he said as he reached his car, he took a handkerchief and removed the ash. Uh, the people back at the Senate building, they would know what that was. Many of them Christian themselves. But Reverend Danforth said he was a little embarrassed to carry the ash from the sanctuary to the Senate building. But he said as soon as he removed it, he was more embarrassed that he had been embarrassed to carry the ash. Do you know what it's like to sometimes be caught in that tension? Naaman realizes that this is what grace does to us. It reorders what is important in our lives, and we no longer fit easily in our culture, and we discover once grace has touched us, we aren't at home anymore because our home is that promised day that, God, that Jesus talked about, and we aren't there yet. So we must make the best choices we know to make, even recognizing they are imperfect that our faith always lives as a compromise. This last moment and then I'm through. Sue Monk Kidd's book, The Secret Life of Bees, narrates the life of sisters, all named after the warmer months. Might be good to read during winter. 
August is the matriarch, May is the most in need. These wonderful women welcome into their home a 14-year-old runaway named Lily. They live in a house that is pink, and one day Lily asked August about it. How come if your favorite color is blue, you painted your house pink, Lily asked. August laughed. That was May's doing. She was with me the day I went to the paint store to pick out a color. I, I had a nice tan color in mine, but May latched onto this sample called Caribbean Pink. She said it made her feel like dancing a Spanish flamenco. I thought, well, it's the tackiest color I've ever seen, and half the town are going to be talking about it. But if it can lift May's heart like that, I guess she ought to live inside it. All this time, I just thought you liked pink, Lily asked. August laughed again. You know, some things don't matter that much, Lily, like the color of a house. How big is that in the overall scheme of life? But lifting a person's heart, now that matters. The whole problem with people is, Lily interrupts, they don't know what matters and what doesn't. August replied, I was going to say the problem is they know what matters, but they so seldom choose it. I love May, but it was hard to choose Caribbean pink. The hardest thing on earth is choosing what matters. I think what we are doing here is reminding ourselves of what matters and trying to encourage one another to choose it. Week after week, what we're doing here is trying to learn how to carry a little holy ground from Jesus back into our lives. Following Jesus means we look at our world and realize we are not home yet. We live in a particular zip code, but grace has sprinkled holy ground from another kingdom in our shoes and it makes us walk differently. Name and ask, may the Lord pardon your servant who lives a necessary compromise. And in the most amazing moment in the whole Hebrew Bible, the prophet of God said, go in peace. Honesty is always welcomed here, so let's be honest. Our lives are a mix of faith and fear, of blessing and burden, of fidelity and failure. The lives we offer God will be a compromise, but choose the best you know how to choose. And remember that grace is offered to the imperfect, to the compromise. Remember that and go in peace. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
please join me in saying what it is we believe using the words printed in your bulletin. We believe in one holy universal Christian church, the unity of the communion of saints of the entire human family. We believe that this unity of the people of God must be manifest and active in that we love one another, that we give ourselves willingly and joyfully to one another, to be of benefit and blessing to one another, that we all share one baptism together, that we eat of one bread and drink of one cup together, that together we know and bear one another's burdens, thereby fulfilling the law of Christ, that we need one another and upbuild one another. We believe that God's life-giving word and spirit will enable the Church to live in a new obedience and to open new possibilities of life for society and the world. Amen. And friends, today is a special day in the life of our community as we welcome all those who have made the commitment to become members of Fourth Presbyterian Church. With gratitude to God at a session meeting held earlier this morning, we welcome 17 new members into the life of our church family. And I will be inviting those who are present to come forward in just a few moments. And for those of you who are joining us online, you will also see their faces appear on your screen. But I do hope that all of us take an opportunity to welcome them, whether today after church or in the weeks and months ahead. We are so very grateful to have them as part of this church family. So for our new members, when I call you by name, I do invite you to come forward and to stand here along the chancel steps. Joining today by profession of faith, Tawana Griggs. Also joining today by profession of faith, will be Tim Southam, who is joining us online, but will soon be relocating to Chicago. Joining today by reaffirmation of faith, Stephanie Buck, Eric Changnan, Sarah Gaskell, Clayton Kindred, Natalia Mikhaeva, Larissa Rosso, and James Young. Joining today by letter of transfer, Carol R., Larry Brasscamp, Jessica Janicki, Liz Lauber and Ned Lauber, Patricia Nelson, Barbara Pierce, and Emily Young, who is also joining us online today. So I'll give everyone a few moments to come forward. I know it's a crowded chancel area, but that is indeed a blessing. So friends, I do have a few questions for you to answer as you reaffirm your faith. Do you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? Do you promise to be Christ's disciple to obey his word and to show his love? If so, please say, I do. And do you promise to share faithfully in the worship and work of this congregation, giving of yourself in every way, and do you promise to seek the fellowship of the church wherever you may be? If so, again, please say, I do. Thank you so much. And now John Klum, a member of our church's session, has a question for all of us as a congregation. Will you, the entire congregation of Fourth Presbyterian Church, promise to welcome these new members, learning to love them, 
abiding with them, including them as family, supporting them on their faith journeys, and encouraging them to use their gifts for God's work in this world. If so, please say, we will. We We will. So friends, I'll conclude with just a brief charge to you. We are deeply grateful to welcome you as part of our church family. This is indeed an exciting time for all of us as a congregation. And I know that all of you bring a variety of gifts and talents and experiences here, and we are grateful to have you among us. I do hope that you will find a place in the life of this congregation where you experience the love of Christ deeply, and that you're able to turn around and share that love with others, whether in acts of service or in building relationships and deepening your faith or whatever that might look like. This is your church, and we are so blessed to have you among us. So friends, let us warmly and graciously welcome these new members of Fourth Church. And you all are welcome to be seated. Again, welcome and blessings to you. As we prepare to lift up our prayers together, I want to remind you also that after this service, the deacons would welcome any who would like to pray with them in the stone chapel through the doors to your right. So let us now offer our prayers and intercessions to God, confident that the love of Christ continues to appear in our lives in surprising and unexpected ways. As we pray, when I say, O God, make speed to save us, you say, O Lord, make haste to help us. It is printed in your bulletin. Let us pray. Holy One, we pray for all who seek your radiant light in the shadowy corners of our world. May we find our way to you through our love for one another. O God, make speed to save us. O Lord, make haste to help us. We pray for all who are oppressed by injustice and unfairness. Bless us all with a joy for justice, that all may share in the blessings of this life, walking in right relationship with you by caring for our neighbor. O God, make speed to save us. O Lord, make haste to help us. We pray for all who have no work, for those without adequate health care, and for all who hunger or have no shelter. Bless us with meaningful work and an abundance of all we need as we love and care for each other under the protection of your sheltering sky. O God, make speed to save us. O Lord, make haste to help us. We pray for all who suffer violence on the streets of our very city and in war-torn places. Keep all from harm's way. We pray for an end to violence, for the release of hostages, for the rebuilding of lives and communities. We grieve for all lives lost, and we pray for those who continue to live in fear Give us a vision of peace, Lord, and the will to work for peace, that all may flourish as one family under God with justice and freedom for all. O God, make speed to save us. 
O Lord, make haste to help us. We remember before you all who have died that they may know your peace. Bless each of us with a sure and certain hope of eternal life, that we may rest in your infinite love, Creator, Christ, and Holy Spirit. O God, make speed to save us. O Lord, make haste to help us. We lift up these prayers and the unspoken prayers of our hearts, joining our voices to pray as Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. God is gracious, a gracious giver who opens the door to all who seek the wisdom of God's ways. Therefore, let us also offer our gifts, the gifts of our life and our labor, and come into the presence of God with thanksgiving. Our morning offering will now be received.
join in the prayer of dedication. For all that you are and all that you do, we give you thanks, our creator, redeemer, and sustainer. We wait in hope for the coming of your realm and offer these gifts to further your kingdom on earth. In Jesus' name, amen. As you go from this place, remember this truth, you are loved. The love of God calls you by name. It is a love that will never let you go. Let that love encourage and inspire you to do the good that is yours to do, to share the love that is yours to share, and God will use that to lead us to God's promised day. And now may the love of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the fellowship of God's Spirit rest and abide with us all now and forever. Amen.